We're now in this era of ag tech that has moved from just data collection and dashboards to now automated processes that can take a lot of the friction out of using these digital tools on the farm. You know, managing any additional technology on top of their already busy job, you know, it takes some work, right? It takes some bandwidth. So if we can use automation to help reduce that bandwidth requirement for the growers, it really helps them to adopt that technology at larger scale. That's Arthur Chen, CEO of Verdi. Their platform enables specialty crop growers to automate their irrigation systems. And it's really starting to gain traction, especially with large enterprise growers of grapes, tree crops, and other fruits and vegetables. We're working with a lot of these household names in food and egg. This past year, we've seen about 30x growth in terms of our traction, and we now have growers expanding to thousands of acres with our systems, uh, some of them just putting it on 100% of their operations. Uh, so that's been really exciting to see. But how does this young company plan to succeed where so many others in ag tech have failed? And what's the potential impact of more adoption of variable rate irrigation? You know, we started in more of the high end of just, you know, the wine industry, but we've really started broadening now into more commodity fruits, nuts and vegetables. Arthur Chen of Verity talks about growing a precision irrigation startup on today's Future of Agriculture podcast. Well, hello, fellow Agner. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week you and I get to hear from the farmers, founders, innovators, investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. I'm very pleased that this quarter of the Future of Agriculture podcast is brought to you by our quarterly presenting sponsor, which is Swap Maps. Because when you know more, you grow more. Swap Maps variable rate technology helps you understand the why of field variability and how to better manage it. Understanding soils is the core of a successful fertility program, and Swap Maps allows you to map, measure, and better manage your soils using data that accurately delineates areas with similar fertilizer response characteristics. Swap Maps, they do variable rate right. Learn more at swapmaps.com. Uh, book a consultation or just check out more information. That's swapmaps.com. But you don't have to take just my word for it. Listen to Tyler Kessler talk about how Swap Maps opened his eyes to the potential of variable rate and how it's worked for him as both a farmer and agronomy consultant working in southern Saskatchewan. I started being introduced into Swap Maps, and that really was the kind of the turning point of, of where I believed it started to make sense for me. I could see it. It started making sense for the clients. And it just, it was the base layer of if you're actually dealing with physical properties, you're not dealing with just yield maps. You're not dealing with imagery to try and, you know, market a scalable business. In our case, we've got 99% retention. Anyone that has, that has tried it continues to increase their acres and, and they, they want more. You'll hear more from Tyler there in a new segment I'm going to be debuting just a couple of days called Field Reports, highlighting how innovation is working from the perspective of the user. So stay subscribed to the show for that. All right, now back to today's featured conversation with Arthur Chen of Verdi. Verdi is helping to climate-proof agriculture with the world's first scalable platform to personalize health care for plants, helping the world's largest food brands radically optimize farm productivity and sustainability. As you'll hear, they're mostly focused in high-value crops starting in 
vines and grapes and then moving into trees and other fruit and vegetable crops. Prior to Verity, Arthur conducted precision agriculture research sponsored by Mineral at Google X. Arthur and I are going to talk about variable rate irrigation in general, uh, gaining traction as a new ag tech company, and how technology like Verity's can make an impact on the future of agriculture. I'll drop you into the conversation here where Arthur is providing some context on variable rate irrigation in high value crops. So basically the way it works and the kind of technical farming term for this is really doing variable rate irrigation or fertigation. So you've probably heard of companies that can do see and spray that's called variable rate spraying. So you drive like a tractor or a robot through a field, you see something, a pest in the field, you can spray it. Um, or a weed, for example. And so we're doing something, you know, similar in principle, but of course, if you do it for irrigation and, you know, fertilization, you need to really change up the way it works. So there's this software component that can help do that um, analysis and intelligence, and also this hardware component where we can physically do that delivery. So we start with the software side, we analyze satellite and environmental data to create prescription maps for farms. And so once we have these prescriptions, we can then uh, split fields into much smaller zones for precision crop management, according to things like soil type, you know, the type of elevation, crop variety, and other factors. And then once we have that, we can then retrofit fleets of our intelligent devices to existing irrigation infrastructure to bring it online and control tiny valves for targeted water and fertilizer delivery. So with these fleets of devices, each device is actually quite small. It fits in the palm of your hand and it contains uh, special algorithms for automation, networking, and battery management as well. Uh, so all you do is you retrofit this, you cut your existing drip tube, for example, um, you fit it in, and that allows growers to then do variable rate and control different sections of their irrigation system separately from each other. So with a traditional irrigation block, for example, let's say you're growing in an orchard, you know, 100 acres will be controlled by a single large valve on a farm. But we can break that down so that now, you know, maybe every single acre can be uniquely controlled by a separate valve or a separate actuator for the grower. OK, so many questions here. So uh, for those listening who maybe not are not familiar with vineyards and orchards, you know, drip irrigation is how a lot of them are irrigated. I imagine it probably works with micro sprinklers as well. Yeah, exactly. So pretty much anything that has tubes on it, uh, we can retrofit to. And we've actually started bringing it to some of the larger diameter pipes, too. So uh, some of the more block level control as well. Okay, great. And what you're referring to as devices, are those essentially smart valves? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're really the best way to think about them is they're controllers. So they can, they can control valves, but we don't actually make the valves ourselves. Those are basically just third party valves, very common for growers to have. But uh, we have controllers, so each device can connect up to two valves. They can actually connect up to two sensors as well uh, that are third party. So you can get this sort of closed feedback loop right in the field. Explain more about that closed feedback loop in the field. So you're talking about flow meters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can put flow meters, for example, on every single controller. So you can see when the valve opens and closes. The funny thing is we've actually had uh, growers use that just to see if their irrigators are irrigating according to schedule as well, um, which is always kind of interesting for them. And, you know, when we say closed feedback loop, we mean that, um, you know, not only can growers control things in the field, but they can actually collect the data and actually write in the field itself, the device makes the decision uh, to open or close the valve for water and, and fertilizer. So they can get automation right on top of these devices within the field. Right. So they know not only, OK, this particular area needs this much water and it's going to get it, but you, they know that it did get it through through flow meters or other sensors that might be out there. I'm guessing like 
uh, soil moisture sensors maybe that that show kind of the the influx of water is that right exactly so soil moisture is a great one and yeah i actually i forgot to mention that one but that's a really big one a lot of different types of soil moisture probes that we can integrate with but when you look at bringing automation to a field a really big thing for a grower is that you know managing any additional technology on top of their already busy job you know it takes some work right it takes some bandwidth so if we can use automation to help reduce that bandwidth requirement for the growers it really helps them to adopt that technology at larger scale huh okay Great. And I know I'm getting into the weeds right away here, but you're kind of getting to some of my question. I think it's good to paint a picture of exactly how this works. And then we can start to maybe zoom out and talk about the broader impact of it. Um, so a little bit more on sort of how it works. How are you making decisions of where to put these devices? You mentioned satellite and uh, climate data. Um, are you using like open ET for that satellite data? Is this like, is this actual ET data or are you using NDVI data for that? And then also where, where's, where's the climate data coming from? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so climate and ET data generally come from public sources. Then that's something that we're still building our models around. But the simplest that we use right now is basically satellite data, NDVI. Um, so we get infrared imagery from uh, Planet Labs most commonly. So they take images every day three meter resolution, which is you know, relatively high resolution compared to a lot of the other sources out there. And by taking NDVI, for example, we can look at the canopy growth across the field. So one of the ways that growers already, you know, use things like drone or satellite data is to look at, hey, like, which parts of the farm have very high canopy growth, which sides have weak growth as well. Um, so canopy is basically vegetation growth. And that's how they can assess basically, you know, the overall holistic health uh, of how their plants are growing. So in a lot of cases, for example, you'll see that, well, you know, certain parts of the field, they look weaker than others. And that's where you might need to increase the irrigation. But in certain industries as well, if you, you know, have too much vegetation, that can create higher disease pressure. And in wine, for example, in vineyards, it can actually reduce the quality of the fruit you're growing as well. Um, so that's a case where growers actually want to reduce water use on a field in that case. Uh, so there's a lot of different applications according to, you know, how the grower wants to use that. And is NDVI reliable for that? I've heard people kind of say, well, NDVI can can be, you know, you're looking at the result of a million different variables that go into that. And how do you know that it really is kind of a uh, necessarily a water variable or necessarily an, a, not, not just a water variable, but an irrigation application variable? That's the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and that's a great question. And that's one that, you know, we we ask our growers about, too. But generally, the feedback that we get is that it's one of the simplest tools that they can use to assess their own farms like you know even before we come on scene like a lot of them already use ndvi for example um, and that's how they you know assess things on the field and i think it goes without saying as well that it's important to ground truth you know what you see through data so if we see something over satellite you know we typically talk to the grower and ask you know what's actually going on here because they do scout the fields they understand their farms very well even at you know in industrial scale farms so that's always helpful for us to understand like is the satellite data you know, actually meaningful for this particular grower with the way that they operate. And typically what we do see is that a lot of those differences are actually due to things like irrigation, or I think most commonly is the soil structure underneath the farm, because that really changes how water is retained. And, and variable rate irrigation in these systems is not a new concept. And there, there are others that are either working on it or, or, you know, contributing to it in some way, where did you see the gap of why it hadn't been commercialized to this point that you thought, okay, I think if Verity can get this right, it really is bringing something new or something differentiated to the market. 
Yeah, and I think the big thing, so variable rate was actually first conceptualized maybe around 20 years ago in the row crops industry. So broad acre like grain and cereals. So it's been developed there and there's been some companies um, and I would say some decent exits in that space as well, like Prospera, for example, getting bought out by Valmont Industries. But the big thing is that that's all broad acre. And so they're working off of infrastructure like center pivots where you've got the single big machine in a field that can turn and it's got power. You know, you can set up networking on it as well. So the economics kind of work out in that case, right? And even there, I think there's something else I'll mention, which is adoption of variable rate within center pivot irrigated crops is only around 10% right now. So even that's still sort of steadily growing in size. But the real gap is where you jump to the high value crop market. So basically fruits, nuts, and vegetables. And you see that, well, there's no center pivots. Everything is operating off of these pipes and tubes in the ground that just kind of run everywhere. And there's no single place where you can put, you know, a sophisticated piece of technology. You have to decentralize it and basically put it everywhere throughout the field in order to do variable rate. So we're basically bringing variable rate from, you know, the broad acre side into specialty crops, which has a very different kind of setup. And that's something where, you know, it hasn't really been done uh, in this space before, at least not at commercial scale. It's been done in, you know, research plots, but it's been very hard to actually bring to commercial operations. And what infrastructure needs to be in place in order for Verity's system to work? I mean, do you already need to have the valve automation? Uh, do you already need to be collecting data in some other way? Or is it really just kind of like, we're going to come in, we're going to assess where the devices need to go, we're going to put them on and show you how to use the interface and you're off to the races? Yeah, it's more like the latter. So pretty much a grower just needs to have an irrigation system. And if they don't have an irrigation system, then I think they have you know other things they can do before they use technology. Um, but yeah, they pretty much just need an irrigation system for us to do variable rate on it. Um, and there's actually different stages of automation that we talk to growers about as well. So we typically see that doing variable rate really is stage three. But you know, once growers use it, they're like, wait, well, it worked at the subfield level. Can I bring this to every other you know, asset on the farm, like my pumps and my block valves as well, right? So that's really where we can use this technology and bring the other parts of the farm online and do automation there so that growers can have, you know, pump level, field level, as well as subfield precision of uh, automation. That's cool. Uh, what you said, stage three, what, wait, what stage one and two? I, I missed that part. I'm sorry. Right. No, all good. I don't think I said stage one and two. Um, so stage one, I think really is when growers just start using, you know, sensors, for example, to collect data on the farm. So they start making more data driven decisions. Stage two is when they start doing some preliminary forms of control. So like turning on a pump remotely even, or like turning on a valve, a block valve from their phone. Uh, so very simple things. But um, I think stage three here then is really, you know, being able to go subfield and control like hundreds of devices in a field with just a few clicks of your finger. So you started this in like, I think 2019, I saw on your LinkedIn, you're like, we're stealth for a while. So did you, did you like learn the stealth thing from, from X? Is, is that kind of where that's coming from? Or what, what was the impetus for that? And then when did you actually launch with like a commercial ready product? Right. Yeah. So the stealth thing was really, um, that's just a project that we did with uh, Google. So, you know, related in some ways, I think related in principle, but, um, you know, a bit of a different technology. But that's really where, I mean, it's, it was the project we did with them and we did that for about a year. So that was 2019. And then 2020 was when we decided, hey, like there's some problems in this space that um, we should actually tackle for growers and just see if we can you know, help them with. So 2020, we basically built the, you know, the Verity product, which was, you know, variable rate irrigation for specialty crops or high value crops. Um, we went to the field for the first time that summer of 2020. 
we built the devices while we were still writing our final exams in college, which is kind of funny. But uh, that was our first time with a product or a prototype in a field um, with actual growers. And I would say from then on to about 2022, even I would say early this year in 2023, a lot of that was R&D and really getting to a point where we can be very commercially mature with the product. Uh, now that you know that's sort of out of that R&D phase and trial phase with growers, we're starting to see a, like a lot of commercial expansions um, with growers in the U.S. and Canada. And and talking about how you've kind of taken this to market, I read a couple articles that had mentioned that you work with food and beverage companies. So are you are you going through the food and beverage companies? Are you going direct to the grower? Are you working the distributors? How are you handling that? Yeah. So right now we do go direct. Um, so we typically target usually uh, enterprise scale growers. So when we talk enterprise scale, we really mean like the food or a beverage company itself. So in food, that's typically like they do some of the growing and they also, um, you know, they do the marketing and all of that as well. And then in beverage, that's really, um, especially wine. We talk to the wine companies, they're vertically integrated. So it's from vineyard to winery to final sale. They manage all of that. So right now uh, we do that because we find that in agriculture, it's actually quite tough to sell farm to farm. It's like, there's a lot of farms out there. They're all different sizes, but if you can really target the larger ones, that's where you can get a lot more traction all at once. Their decision-making process tends to be more corporate as well. And I think that does help startups when they're uh, just starting out. And if you do a good job, then there's a lot of opportunity to expand because they manage a lot of acreage. Uh, There's this kind of land of expand dynamic that you can get. So in terms of, you know, where we've come now, we're working with a lot of these household names in food and egg. This past year, we've seen about 30x growth in terms of our traction. And we now have growers expanding to thousands of acres with our systems, uh, some of them just putting it on 100% of their operations. Uh, So that's been really exciting to see. And so those growers are the, are the same people that every ag tech company, I think, would like to land, right? Sort of land and expand like that. That sounds really good. In practice, it's got to be a whole lot harder. So what's been helpful for you to actually reach key decision makers in there and get them to give you a chance? Because um, those, those are people that uh, that have to ignore a lot of the, a lot of those types of calls. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think for us, one, something that really helped early on was we started in academia to get these referrals and introductions to the industry. So that's how we first broke in. Once we got in there, I mean, I would say, you know, agriculture is a big industry, but a lot of people know each other. And so if you can, you know, make happy customers in one place, they will help you refer and, you know, talk to you to other customers. And that's really helped us. So a little bit of this referral power, at least at the very beginning, and having that credibility is really helping us to, you know, acquire new customers and also to expand with existing ones. I think technology validation is important, but also just having the trust of growers that, you know, you work with them to fix problems and that you're there really for the long term uh, is really important to get them to, you know, refer you to new people. Right. So that's great whenever you can get referrals. Obviously, any inbound business is really, really nice. But for outbound business that you have to earn, what are the early reactions or or concerns that that you hear from prospective customers when you say, look, I'd like to help, you know, you reach variable rate irrigation through automation. What's their response to that? And give me the good, bad and the ugly here. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would say definitely in the beginning, you know, it's tough where like, especially let's say we approach a new crop type and they're like, well, so who else have you worked on this, you know, with in this industry? And you're like, well, nobody, you're the first ones that, you know, we're talking to. Right. So definitely there's that kind of trouble and that challenge, I think. But I would say 
you know, building up credibility with growers is still really important because those are the names that you can then use when you go to new customers and you show them, hey, well, we already delivered these results for, you know, so-and-so growers out there. And these are growers that you know because of XYZ reasons. And so I think we've definitely found that even without the inbound referrals, like being able to say that, well, we've delivered these results for these growers on like a certain size of operation, um, basically a similar customer profile that really helps growers to understand that, you know, you actually are legit and that you can deliver value. Uh, so that's one aspect. I would say there's a few other things that you can really do. I think another one is really understanding that you shouldn't just reach the customer through one channel. Like often I think in the ag tech industry, you just go to industry conferences and you sort of wait there for people to walk by. I don't think we've had the best experience just, you know, waiting for people to come by all the time and you have to be proactive. Right. And so you talk to one person in a company, but you might want to talk to, you know, three or four different people at that company to really understand how it works and what's valuable to them. And once you understand what's valuable, I think that's when you can actually, you know, make that sale into, hey, like, let's work together. I think a funny story from our end where one time we, uh, we were looking through classified listings for, you know, selling wine grapes, for example. And so we would start messaging people through their ads to sell their wine grapes. And we tell them, hey, do you want to sell, you know, 10% higher yield, right? We can help you do that. So that's one kind of cold outreach method that we've used that, you know, actually got some interest. I don't recommend it to everyone because I think there are more reliable ways to get, you know, people and new customers. But um, that's one of the kind of fun hacks that we tried. And when you're talking about, you know, finding out what's valuable to customers, I don't want to skip over where the value is here, because even for some growers that cite water as their number one issue, I think they're citing a lot of times the risk of water availability, not necessarily the need for variable rate irrigation. So help me understand where is the value? And I'm sure it differs from one crop to another slightly. But where's the value here and where's the, the grower really experiencing the pain point where they're like, yeah, I, I need to try this. I've been thinking about this. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you hit that right on the head because that's absolutely the case. Like we talk about water running out for agriculture or, you know, people talk about that. But what they're really scared of is the risk, as you said, of not having enough water. Right. It's not necessarily that water is going to be expensive right now or maybe even in a year, um, but it's more of a long term risk that they're looking to mitigate. So really, actually, that might be the way that you initially start that conversation. But typically, the kind of buying decision really comes down to yield. So being able to improve yields by, you know, 10 to 20 percent, you know, especially for a company, let's say that's making like 300 million dollars or a billion dollars a year. If you're able to increase their you know, top line revenue by, you know, 10 percent, even, you know, in certain farms, that's really big for them. So that's, I would say, the main driver. If you can save water on top of that, that's great for them, mainly as a risk mitigation and, you know, to some extent, you know, the dollar savings as well. In addition to that, uh, there are some, you know, ancillary benefits. I'd say a really big one actually is labor as well. Um, so being able to grow a uniform crop already helps growers to manage their farms better. They need to go out there and, you know, harvest less or they need fewer harvest passes, basically, because everything ripens at the same time. And if you, you know, bring that technology to other parts of the infrastructure as well, then that means they're using less manual labor to do really basic things like just turning on a valve on and off. And I, if I remember right, I thought for the wine grape regions, they want kind of optimal yield, not necessarily more yield. So when you're dealing with wine grapes, is is that what it is? It's like, oh, with more precision, I can reach optimal yield, you know, not even more yield, but but I want kind of like more in some areas, less in others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, that's entirely the case. So it really depends on a grower, of course. So sometimes they say, well, we want to manage yields, but we want more yields of this, you know, target 
premium quality grade. So actually, one of our first customers, uh, we helped them to increase the revenue per acre basically by 8% by increasing the quality tier of the wine that they were producing. And so that was really important for them because, you know, that wasn't, you know, necessarily a, you know, volume increase in terms of the amount of wine they made, but they were able to sell at a higher tier, which is how they made their money. Right. And that was really huge for them, especially when you're talking about a vertically integrated wine company that, you know, they produce the grapes, but they also turn it into wine. So there's this huge sort of delta in the value of the product. Uh, I, I do want to zoom out just a little bit and, and kind of talk about talk about climate adaptation, climate mitigation in agriculture. It's kind of a hard subject because it feels in some cases very abstract because it is it's like it's having to think about the possibilities that might yet be to come right uh you know certainly we see extreme weather events we see droughts we see fires we see floods right now but we really don't know on an individual farm level what types of risk mitigation strategies will need to be used based on on what the future holds so maybe let's just talk about how you think about you know climate adaptation at the farm level and how something like Verdi can can help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think when we really look at like for Verdi, for example, we talk about our big vision, like in a nutshell, you know, we're really looking at how can we make agriculture resilient to climate change by bringing, you know, infrastructure automation to every farm in the world, right? If you look at the state of, you know, even things like using a soil moisture probe or like using automation on basic farm equipment, the usage of that is actually relatively low, you know, around the world. So if you can bring the benefits of that, you know, to every farm, then you can really help to make that difference in terms of climate resilient egg. But then you ask the question, well, you know, how do we actually do that? Right. And I think, you know, in the egg tech industry, there's often this kind of very technology centric perspective, which is, um, you know, as long as we build great technology, then farmers will adopt and eventually we'll get there. We'll be able to, you know, get it to every farm. But I think there's starting to be this kind of movement of people who are thinking, well, you know, it's not just about building great technology, but how do you help growers to finance the adoption of that technology, right? How do you price it in a way that makes sense for growers? And even how do you help growers with the whole education and change management process that is required to really, you know, do adoption? So if we dive deeper into that, like if we talk finance, for example, here at Verdi, one of the big things we do is we actually sell a uh, subscription model. So we don't just sell everything up front. We sell a subscription so that growers can really pay this piecemeal and they can get, you know, a positive ROI on it every year that they're using their product. So it's not like they're sinking all their money, you know, into this product and then waiting for it to give benefits years later, but they just pay a you know, relatively low subscription fee and they can access everything that the platform offers. On top of that, though, we think that, you know, Right now, you can get financing for tractors. I think that's super common. But can you get financing for irrigation equipment or even, you know, a regular sensor on the market? That's actually quite, quite different, right? You might have government grants that help you buy those things, but there aren't really options to, you know, finance those through, you know, more traditional means like your bank, right? So that's an area where I think, you know, we're pretty interested in at Verdi. It's not something we're doing right away right now, but we, you know, we think that it's something that would be beneficial for the industry. And then the other aspect here is, I think, um, you know, the change management side. So a lot of growers, I'm sure you've seen this with new tech before, like growers will adopt new tech on like 100 acres or like maybe even two acres because they're trying it out. And then it takes years for them to expand to thousands of acres. And I think a big reason for that is because if you're putting it on just a small site, then it's easy to manage, right? You can get your most technologically literate 
you know, staff or team members to really manage that. But once you're rolling it out to thousands of acres, right, who's going to actually manage that technology? Who's going to use it? How do you make sure that all the members of your team, you know, it might be a hundred or, you know, a thousand person organization. How do you make sure everybody understands how to use the technology in the right way? So I think for ag tech companies, it's also important that they think about how they work with growers to, you know, help train their staff and also to make it easy enough that, you know, anyone can use the technology without, you know, really having to spend a lot of effort and money. Yeah, that, that's a big job. Um, how, how has your team grown to try to to attack some of those challenges? I know you said with the financing is something you're thinking about for down the road, maybe not doing so much right now. But in terms of that support and education piece, has your team really had to grow to to handle that? Mm -hmm. The kind of first thing for us is that every member of the team has to visit a farm and has to they have to touch dirt. You know, they have to understand who they're growing for and how they're using their product in the field, because I think that really affects how you write code and how you build the product. So that's a big piece. I think support is a really big part of it, right? And it's often overlooked. Um, it's not just about doing customer support, but it's really thinking about it as account management, where if you can provide really great support to your customers, that's how you can get them to really grow because they know that they can trust you, they know you're here for them. And also they know that if something breaks, you know they can rely on you. Right. And I think that's what gives people the confidence to continue working with you. So, you know, we had this debate before where, OK, should we really lean into new sales or should we lean on to account management? And we ended up doing account management because that's where we realized, hey, like that's where we can create the most value for growers. And for us as a company, you know, if we can get really happy growers working with us, that's probably more valuable in the long run than getting all these new sales in the short run. Arthur, this has been great. Uh, I really appreciate the time. Anything else you wanted to be sure to mention uh, on the podcast episode before I let you go? Yeah, um, I mean, you covered a lot, which is great. It was a really fun conversation. One thing I'll mention is that um, we really started in vineyards and orchards, but we actually do a lot of different types of crops now. So pretty much anything with a, you know, irrigation system and high valley crops. So uh, we also do berries, for example. Um, we do you know, fruits and nuts on trees, as well as even table grapes. So not just producing wine. So what we're really trying to do here is, you know, we started in more of the high end of just, you know, the wine industry, but we've really started broadening now into more commodity fruits, nuts and vegetables. And eventually, you know, we do see the possibility to go into broad acre as well and to, you know, make variable rate even, you know, more common there. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. It was a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode. Thank you very much to Arthur Chen for being on the show. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about him, go check out their website, Verdi.ag. It's V-E-R-D-I.ag. We'll, of course, link for it in the show notes. And right there on the website, you could see a couple of the brands that they're working with. I mean, notable names like E&J Gallo Winery and Wonderful Orchards. These are obviously uh, large operations that are using uh, this system. So very, very cool stuff there. Thanks again to Arthur for being on the show. Thanks as well to Swap Maps for being our quarterly presenting sponsor this quarter. You can learn more about them at swapmaps.com. Highly encourage you to do so. And last, but certainly never least, thank you for your time and your attention. I never take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation.